Welcome to the second season of the Gutsy Health Podcast with Shanique Roney and Gina Warfel, where we share uncomplicated, practical, and affordable wellness education so you can be a self-healing champion. This episode is brought to you by the Gutsy Health Membership Program, a program that gives you inexpensive tools and resources to heal your mind, body, and soul. Visit our website at mygutsyhealth.com. Hey guys, welcome to the Gutsy Health Podcast. I'm actually tickled pink right now because I am so excited to introduce this guest. And it's kind of a long story. I'm going to give you guys the cliff notes of how our paths crossed before I tell you who it is. And you guys probably know who it is because you read the show notes and whatnot. But Dr. Jeffrey Wright, he is an extremely well-known doctor here in Utah Valley. I kind of call him the OG. He's like the godfather to all the natural doctors. Like if you know a well-known doctor, chances are they've probably been trained by Dr. Jeffrey Wright, or they have some affiliation with Dr. Jeffrey Wright and they know Dr. Wright because he was like the third natural doctor here in Utah Valley, like 25 years ago, before people even knew what holistic alternative integrative medicine was like, he's kind of pioneered and helped other people pioneer. And he's on multiple boards to help pioneer a lot of therapies. And so if you are in Utah Valley, if you worked with a doctor in Utah Valley, chances are they have been trained by Dr. Wright. Dr. Wright, this is actually hilarious. You met Jared Price, my nurse practitioner the other day for the first time, and he called you dude. <laughs> and then he realized who you were. He's like, wait a second, you've actually trained my mentor. And the next morning in our meeting, he was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I called Dr. Wright, dude. He's like, I can't believe he's the Dr. Wright. And I'm like, I know I've been telling you he's the Dr. Wright. And so he put two and two together. And so I just thought that was a funny story. But before we go into our topic today on, I want to talk about the complexities of neurological dysfunctions and co-infections, right? How co-infections lead to issues like MS, dementia, Alzheimer's, all the long COVID things that people were getting. I want to share the remarkable story and then I'm going to give you the platform, Dr. Wright. But it's really crazy because Dr. Wright is going to be working with Provo Health and I couldn't be more thrilled because it's weird how our paths crossed. I'll give you the quick story. I was having a meeting with Jared Price, my nurse practitioner, and we were frustrated because his wait list is getting longer and longer and he's booking two months to three months out now. And in a moment of perplexity, I said, how do I find another unicorn like you, Jared? Like Provo Health needs another brilliant mind to help all these people because people are sick and they're not getting answers from their doctors, but they trust us and we need another you, but I can't train another you. It's impossible. People just come this way. You eat, breathe and sleep alternative health. It doesn't get just get trained into you. You have to have a passion for it. And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> so I remember just driving down the road and Dr. Wright literally popped into my mind. I crossed paths with him at my mother-in-law's house. And I was like, I wonder if Dr. Wright would ever want to work at Provo Health. And I kid you not, you guys, I go into the office that afternoon and my front desk girl, Rowan, is like, Shanique, a Dr. Wright came in to see you today. And I was like, what? I was like, this is so crazy. I was like, no way. I just saw him at my ex-mother-in-law's house, Tristan's mom's house the other day. He came into the office the day I was talking about him. I'm like, okay, this is a sign. I need to call him. But then you guys, I got distracted because I got busy and I actually was really too scared to just call him and ask if he would be interested. So two weeks go by 
And Jared and I having another meeting and he's like, Janique, we need another person. He's like, we just need another person like me to help all of our patients. And I'm like, okay, I know. I'm going to call Dr. Wright today. 10 minutes later, you guys, Dr. Wright and his wife, Amber, walk into the Provo Health Clinic. And I was like, this is insane. I knew it was a sign from the universe. It was like this sign from Tristan. I have this angel on the other side, just helping the Provo Health cause mission along. And I bring in Dr. Wright and I give him a tour of the clinic. And I'm like, Dr. Wright, I need to be honest. I would really love it. If you are open to working with Provo Health, it would be such an honor to have you on our team. And long story short, here we are. (laughs) So that is my intro to this incredibly intelligent man who is just such a gift from heaven. He eat, breathes, and then sleeps health. Like he's the genius of all geniuses. And so Dr. Wright, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the Provo Health team. Tell people a little bit about who you are before we launch into our very sticky subject of co-infections, infections, and brain dysfunction. Well, thank you for the introduction. I'm humbled by that because... I felt inspired and led and directed in your direction for a whole bunch of reasons. We can get into another podcast. I grew up out of state. I moved here to do my undergraduate here in Utah. I met my beautiful wife on a blind date, went to medical school in Portland, Oregon, studied naturopathic medicine. That was the only type of medicine that really fit. If something went bump in our family's life, my mom would either throw nutrition or herbs at it, but we would use regular medical doctors for things that they're great at, like surgery, you know, stitches from now on again, antibiotics when the infection was really bad. But for the most part, we did things at home when necessary. And so as I was trying to figure out what I wanted to spend my life studying, I loved medicine, still love medicine. I love the way the body works. But going the MDDO route of drugs and surgery didn't really mesh with my life I was a huge fan of nutrition and herbs, but just studying nutrition and herbs didn't feel complete. And so when I found naturopathic medicine, that kind of rang all the bells that I wanted. I could study herbs and nutrition while studying drugs and surgery, while studying pathology, biochemistry. And I looked at a thing called homeopathy and okay, I'll study that because I have to study that. I'd get some smattering of Chinese medicine, which didn't ring with me, but I knew I was going to get enough to be able to speak coherently and also get the physical medicine piece as well. And so I really loved getting the full, well-rounded training that teaches about how all the parts of the body work and combine to make these amazing things called bodies. I'm still in awe of the amazing structure and the amazing complexity that is our simplified bodies. And they're simple and they're complex all in the same breath. And so I came to Utah, moved back here after medical school, did a residency with the second of the alternative doctors in Utah. And then I opened up a practice here in the Utah Valley and I've been practicing here ever since. And I've thoroughly enjoyed living here. I love the people. I love the mountains that are, you know, almost a stone's throw away. And I thought that I was going to be just general practitioner. No. Turns out I started getting the complex people the people who were hard to treat, the people who I lovingly refer to as the medical rejects, Mm -hmm. the people who had already been to five, six, 10, 12 doctors. They'd been given a list as long as your arm of diagnoses, but they never got to the cause of why did they get sick? Why do they have a list as long as your arm of medical Mm -hmm. conditions? And so I'm kind of like a pit bull. I can't let go. 
And so people would come in and I'd say, well, let's do this. And I go, where did you try that? Okay, well, let's do this. Well, I tried that. And so rather than saying, I don't know, go see somebody else, it's like, well, I don't know. So it must be something I don't know yet. And so I would really dig in and find out the why did their body break and really came down to going into infections. That was one of the major reasons why bodies were breaking. And it wasn't because they had an infection that people recognized and could find. Like if you have strep, it's easy to find. Everybody mm-hmm. knows about that. Right. And so I was getting the people who this was their seventh course of strep and their fifth course of antibiotics. And I'm scratching my head and going, no, no, maybe you never got rid of the strep. Maybe there's something else going on that's making your body susceptible to it. And I'm asking, so why are you getting strep? Well, okay, you got infected, but okay, that, would, that counts for the first time and maybe the second time. But why are you not getting rid of it? What are we missing? Is there something going on with the immune system? Is there a pocket that we can't get to with the antibiotics? Are you kissing somebody who has strep? What's going on? And so I dig in and find the cause. Once we found the cause, then we could fix it. And sometimes it was they're getting exposed to something else that's suppressing their immune system Mm -hmm. or, you know, something else is going on. We find that, solve it, remove it. And then their strep stops coming back. I want to say something really quick for listeners too, because the amount of super sleuthing and thinking out of the box that it takes, like this is something that you don't train into someone, right? Mm -hmm. That's why when I was talking with Jared, I'm like, how do I find another unicorn like you? Because it's a skill set that is developed over tons and tons of time. And like, and truly from genius, you have to like really sit with your patient, hear what they're saying and know how to guide the conversation and the questions to get to the right answer. Answer, right mm-hmm. to figure it out. You don't train this kind of intelligence into people. And so you have 25 years of super sleuthing people's health issues. You mm-hmm. are actually the doctor that when other doctors, the good doctors here in Utah Valley, when people have been failed by these big name doctors, they come to you and you are their very last option. And you are the one that finds answers for them. You go out and you pioneer all of these technologies and therapies and you put them together and you help people heal. It's so funny. I love sitting in conversations with you and Jared, because when I mentioned Epstein-Barr, you're like, oh, Epstein-Barr is easy to fix. Oh, Lyme's easy to fix. Oh, all of these things are easy to fix. Right. And I just like, I want to cry because there are so many people who are so frustrated with all of these infections and people don't know how to fix them. And you're like, that's easy. What we have to figure out is A, B, C, and D. Right. And you're like, and once we figure that out, the map is simple. So I want to say, I really appreciate your skill set and how you have serviced people for the past 25 years and like doctors like you are extremely rare to come by. And so that kind of launches me into our topic today of infections. So because you deal with very complex cases, you deal with Lyme, you deal with autoimmune. Dr. Wright is an expert in really complex infection cases where people, you have to think outside the box. So for instance, the buzzword is Lyme. Like Lyme is a very, very scary diagnosis. You deal a lot with cancer patients. You deal a lot with the people that other doctors don't know how to touch, right? Epstein-Barr, long COVID. And it's so interesting because I was talking with you about long COVID issues and you're like, oh, that's really easy. All we have to do is, and you mentioned an IV therapy in combination with hyperbaric and you're like, that'll heal the brain up just like that. And so these things are not taught in medical school. These things are not taught. It takes a brilliant mind to seek out this information and learn from the other experts. And so people like you and Jared are constantly going to conferences, constantly finding the top leaders, the forefront thinkers in these areas, and you're learning from them constantly. And so, which launches me into our topic today. 
I want to share, I was listening to a podcast by Dr. Amen. Is that how you say it? Daniel Amen. Like amen to that? Yes. Amen to that. And if you don't know him, you should know him. He is brilliant. He is a psychiatrist and he talks about brain health and brain function, but he talks about nutrition and stress and exercise and infection and how all of these things affect the brain. He was being interviewed in a podcast where the guy said he's seen over a hundred thousand brain scans, right? And he studies brain scans. And he got asked, what is the worst brain scan you've ever seen? And he mentioned a 15 year old who shot his parents, murdered his parents, and then went to school and murdered 25 students. And he said when the court asked him to do a brain scan on this guy for evidence or something, and he said this brain was literally deteriorating from the inside. He said it was like melting away. It was the worst brain scan he had ever seen. And the interviewer asked what would cause something like that. And he mentioned two things, potentially apoxia at at birth. So the brain didn't get enough oxygen while he was being birthed or infection. And I want to talk about that second subject today because many of us are walking around with infections that are affecting our brain function and we think it's us. I want people to hear it like it is not you. And I think long COVID put this dysfunction on the map because a lot of people got COVID and then they got long COVID and their personalities started changing. They became histrionic. They became very anxious. Some people went in kind of into the psychosis realm, right? Where they, I've had so many people DM me saying, I'm not the same person and my family deserves better. I'm not a good mom. I am not a good wife. And people just kind of gaslight them and say, well, just think happy thoughts. And it's like, you can't. I want to be very, very clear. You can't just think happy thoughts when your brain is literally infected and like disintegrating. A lot of people know I got long COVID and Epstein-Barr last year, and it was the scariest thing I've ever been through. I still have PTSD over it because I'm like, I am not the same person. I can't run my company. I can't be a good mom. Brushing my teeth was hard. Simple things like brushing my teeth and having five minute meetings, I couldn't do it. And it terrified me because I was watching myself. It's interesting coming from a clinical perspective, watching myself disappear. There's two parts of me, the person that's disappearing and the person that is clinically watching myself disappear and trying to problem solve it. Right. And so I would love to talk about that with you today, Dr. Wright, and talk about the many kinds of infections that can lead to brain dysfunction and what those brain dysfunctions look like. Well, the short answer is all of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so Lyme disease is certainly one. It's a spirochete and it can live in three different forms. And some of those forms can act like a corkscrew drilling itself into the cell wall and it can go into the brain and cause problems. The immune system can find it and react, and so then you have brain problems because the inflammation of the body trying to deal with the infection is damaging the brain. And then you have chemicals the the bug creates, which can damage the brain. Mm -hmm. Key here is damage to the brain. Right. And so that's one. Epstein-Barr can get into your body. It can rewrite your DNA. It can create an immune reaction. Same thing. The Epstein-Barr doesn't create the poisons necessarily, but the body trying to deal with the virus is going to kill cells and can damage the brain. There's lots of other infections that we know about. For example, we know that toxoplasmosis, you shouldn't change the kitty litter when you're pregnant because that can potentially get into your body. Well, guess where it goes? It goes to your brain. So why couldn't somebody who's been around cats get toxoplasmosis and cause brain changes, brain problems from having lived with cats? Now, if you like your cats, great. We don't have cats for lots of reasons. That's one of them. How do you know that you don't have toxoplasmosis? That can cause brain damage. We know, and actually when I was still a resident, I actually found a young lady who had strep and she got rheumatic fever, but her first symptom wasn't a sore throat. It was actually brain changes 
from the rheumatic fever from strep. And that wasn't the strep that caused it. It was an immune reaction that caused brain changes from the strep. And what were the brain changes? Was it personality? Was it anxiety, depression? Like For her, it was actually chorea, which was non-rhythmic movements. It kind of looked like a twitch, but it wasn't really. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we joke about doing stuff like this, mm-hmm. but it was similar to that. And so she was having rhythmic movements from her brain having been damaged from the inflammation from strep. You know, there's uh, certainly trichomonas can go to the brain and cause problems. That's another parasitic infection that can cause problems. How about cytomegalovirus? That's a big one. Cytomegalovirus is another cranky one. I put that in the category of stealth infections, which means, you know, if you have strep, you know that usually. If you have the flu, you know that. If you got COVID, you know that. You feel ill. Well, stealth infections are ones where you may or may not feel ill, but let's say you get it. But then 6, 12, 18 weeks down the road, you got better, except you didn't quite get better, meaning you got sick, but then you got over it. But now you have all this residual garbage that's going on and you're feeling yucky, but you go to the doctor and you say, I feel terrible. And the doctor runs a bunch of tests and says, well, you're fine. Yep. Well, that's cool, but here's the problem with that. If they didn't look for one of these stealth infections, they say they run your thyroid, it's fine. They run a CBC and say, well, you're not anemic, then you're fine. Mm -hmm. They run a chem screen and your liver's fine, your kidneys are fine, your electrolytes are fine, so you're fine. Mm -hmm. And so the doctor doesn't have enough time or they don't know to ask the question, well, do you have CMV, cytomegalovirus? Mm -hmm. Did you pick up Lyme disease somewhere? You know, and and Lyme disease, I'm a huge fan of antibiotics for Lyme disease if you just got it for the first time. Right. You know, if you just got it, you just got the tick bite or some other bite, you just got Lyme disease, you got a bullseye rash, or we give you antibiotics. I think that's the best cure for Lyme disease in an acute infection. Mm -hmm. About five years ago, I had three Lyme patients during the summer, all of which I thought were acute. Now, Mm -hmm. one of them had a bunch of old symptoms that were chronic. We didn't know what they were. And I treated all of them with antibiotics and two of them got better really quickly. And the Mm -hmm. third one who was having other weird symptoms, she got worse. Turns out we think that she had Lyme disease for a long time. And I haven't found antibiotics work very well for chronic Lyme disease. Now, there's a lot of doctors who do a really good job who treat chronic Lyme disease with antibiotics. I have not seen that work. I haven't either. And neither is Jared. Like we're both don't... To Mm -hmm. me, I'm skeptical. Like, look, if the treatment is right, the patient will get better. Mm -hmm. And so if the treatment is right, but they don't get better, either the treatment is not right or we've missed something that we didn't know about. And actually, the first Lyme patient I treated, I didn't know it was Lyme disease. And she was treated by two other doctors who are excellent. And they said, well, we tested for Lyme. You don't have it. And so I believed them. I don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. I believed them. And they said, we don't have Lyme disease. And, you know, she was one of the ones I can say that I didn't fail but I didn't know enough to be able to help her. And I referred to another doctor and he didn't help her. And he referred to another doctor and that doctor was Lyme literate and better than I was at the time. And he said, oh, you have Lyme disease. And he started treating her for Lyme disease and she eventually got better. And then what did she do? Call me. Hey, guess what? I got Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and here's how we found it. And here's what we did. And so that's how I started really getting educated on Lyme disease more so and how it can be very pernicious and it can be a stealth bug. And it can really mess things up. Right. So talking about Lyme disease, why is Lyme disease so hard to test and treat? A lot of doctors have preferences in testing. And a lot of times you get false negatives or false positives. Like what can people actually trust and how can they move forward with testing for Lyme? Well, the first problem is Lyme disease suppresses the place 
suppresses so our bodies make cruise missiles to kill bugs they're called antibodies mm -hmm. and so the place that that's made is in a type of white blood cell so lyme disease suppresses that white blood cell so that it can't make antibodies to kill it mm -hmm. there's a lot more going on there but that's the simple explanation so if you've had lyme disease you know for however many years you've had it it's very likely to have suppressed that system such that when we run the test, which is looking for antibodies to Lyme disease, it comes up negative because the body has already been suppressed in that area mm. such that we're getting a false negative. Well, the standard of care is to run an ELISA test. That's a near waste of time for Lyme disease. If it comes up positive, you have it. But if it comes up negative, there's a 70% chance that you still could have Lyme disease. To me, that's not even as good as flipping a coin. Right. That's kind of a humongous time. Mm -hmm. So the next test is a Western blot, which is looking for the antibodies. They're looking at different species of antibodies. They call them bands. And you have to have five or more of one kind of band in order for a positive test. You have to have two of the three bands on the other one. One of the other has to be one. And so if you have one band, they're saying, well, that could cross-react with other things, which is true. It could be cross-reacting with something else. And so therefore, it's not a definitive diagnosis for Lyme disease. So therefore, it is a negative test. Well, the Western blot test, a couple of problems with that one. But the first one is it's only 70% accurate. So that means there's a 30% sloppy margin of error. Well, there's a lot of people in that 30% margin of error that could be feeling bad. And now they don't have Lyme disease. Second problem with Western blot is a bunch of years ago, they wanted to create a vaccine for Lyme disease. And so they went to the major labs and said, well, we want you to take this specific marker and not report it because we are going to use that specific marker that's the most sensitive for it. We're going to use that to see if the vaccine worked. Mm -hmm. well, I like the idea because we're trying to get good data. Well, mm -hmm. the problem was the vaccine failed, but the labs stopped reporting that altogether. Wow. So in order to get that one, you have to go through a specialty lab, usually Igenix, and it's not covered by insurance. Mm -hmm. Well, usually by the time they get to me, they've already spent a bazillion dollars trying to get better. Their insurance... You know, and so I want the insurance to cover the lab tests. I don't run every test conceivable, but I don't want to run another test if it's just going to say, well, maybe you have Lyme disease or not. And so mm -hmm. try to be conscious of people's costs because, you know, those things are expensive. Right. And so, but reality is, you know, in my paperwork, I say, look, let's run a, we're going to run a really cheap test. It's called a survey. It's a mm -hmm. form. You're going to fill it out. And I hate forms. They're not interactive. And I hate reading them and I hate filling them out myself. Right. Uh, and just FYI, I went down to the Amen Clinic and I had like a big stack of forms that I had to fill out just to walk through the door. But if I can have somebody fill out a form, it's a questionnaire of common symptoms for Lyme disease, and they come up with 85% of those symptoms for Lyme disease. Probably Lyme. That's probably Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. And so it also eliminates face-to-face -face time that they're paying for. Right. And so if they've already filled out the form and it looks and smells like Lyme disease, let's consider doing something about that. Yeah. So what you said to me the other day is you're like, Lyme disease is easy. It's the co-infections that are hard because Lyme disease doesn't come by itself. It's always has its friends and its companions and it's like whole entourage. And so I'm curious as to, I want to talk a little bit about long COVID because long COVID mimic Lyme disease in a lot of people. What the heck was happening when people were getting long COVID? So I like to think of COVID as the great virus that clears away all your protective mechanisms. Mm -hmm. So basically, whatever you had going on prior to COVID, but your body was compensating for it, mm -hmm. COVID wipes that away. So now we can see what was going on. Mm -hmm. So if you had brain fog before, oh, now you're really going to have brain fog. 
Yeah. You had fatigue nap before, but you could deal with, you know, coffee or caffeine or some other adrenal nutrient to get you well. Not anymore because COVID strips all that away. And so now you can see it. Mm -hmm. How does COVID Um, strip that away? I interviewed someone last year where he talks about like COVID literally changing the microbiome in your body, which changes the immune response. But what else is it doing? Like, and our listenership, they love going into the science of the nitty gritty. So you can get as nerdy about this as as you like. So I'm going to give you the most direct, most truthful answer first. Mm -hmm. And that's, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't really understand it. Um, It does, but I know it messes with the microbiome. I suspect it messes with the DNA. It deals with the inflammation and changes the way our inflammatory markers work. It throws the immune system out of balance. So you've got a Th1, Th2 system that kind of gets out out of wonky, you know, wonky and not working very well. I know that it also is kind of a cofactor with other infections. So people who used to have Epstein-Barr, but they got it under control, now Epstein-Barr seems to grow again. So it's almost like it's a turbo to the rest of the bugs in the body and Mm -hmm. makes them go crazy. And so those are all my theories. And I'm still working on figuring out why, how it all works. What I learned from a training that I did through Apex Energetics was that it actually wakes up dormant viruses in your body. It's like the virus, you know, the one ring that rules them all from like Lord of the Rings. COVID is the one virus that rules them all. And it wakes up a certain genetic factor that will wake up dormant viruses that you could have inherited from your mother or your grandmother, right? So you could have been asymptomatic of Epstein-Barr. It's in your body. We have all of these infections in our body that are constantly managed and put in prison. But when COVID comes out, it breaks open the prison cells. And now these things come out to play, especially if your body is already overloaded. And so a lot of people were showing symptoms like Epstein-Barr, like CMV, like MS, because we know that a root cause of MS actually Epstein-Barr, right? And the inflammatory response of the body because of Epstein-Barr. So that's what I learned. And so, yeah, it's not actually COVID that's the problem. It's the damage that COVID did that literally, like I said, broke open all the cell doors and let all the prisoners out. And now it's just like a field day. And now it's like Gotham City where the prisoners are out and they're just like destroying the city, right? So when someone comes to you, let's say they have neurological dysfunction, they got COVID and now they have long COVID and brain fog and fatigue and all of these things. They can't think properly. Their personality is changing. They have anxiety or depression. And Lyme is very, very neurologically symptomatic, right? Yes. When someone comes to you, with these symptoms, what is the first thing that you do or look? Oh, and I want to mention too, we've mentioned a lot of viruses and we've mentioned Lyme, which is a bacteria, but what about like root canals and UTIs and whatnot? Because from my experience, my root canals, my chronic UTIs were a huge part of my infection load that damaged my brain. Do you want to elaborate a little bit more on other kinds of infections before we we can have a podcast just on root canals? So I'll I'll keep it simple. How do you know if a root canal was successful? If you ask your dentist this, they'll say, well, the tooth doesn't hurt. Well, Mm -hmm. here's the problem with that. You took out the nerve. Right. So how do you know it didn't get reinfected if you took out the source that tells you that it hurts, therefore it's infected? Right. I'm scratching my head. I don't have an answer for that. I haven't got a good answer from dentists. My dentist friends agree with me. So, you know, they're not going to give me a good answer either. But here's the thing. The research that I did on root canals is they said, okay, in this child, we're going to take out their wisdom teeth. So let's do a test and see what happens. So let's do a root canal in one wisdom tooth and not in another one, see what happens. And they found every single wisdom teeth tooth that was removed a year afterwards was reinfected. Mm-hmm. 
So there's always a maybe one somebody somewhere isn't going to have that get reinfected. But the reality is, if every single one after a year was reinfected, that's a pretty abysmal rate at root canals. Right. And so I consider root canals and dare I say, osteonecrotic cavitations, which is where the wisdom tooth was removed. Those are kind of like the safe harbor for everything bad. Mm-hmm. So the problem is, is they're pressurized. So the immune system can't get through the pressure into that area of infection, but that infection can be pushed out mm-hmm. and get leached into the body. And so one of the reasons why I find people don't get well is they have an infected tooth they did not know they had. Mm-hmm. So as part of my protocol, you have to go see a good biologic dentist, a few really good ones here in the Valley. I've actually interviewed Dr. Michelle Jorgensen. We've actually had a whole episode on root canals. Like when I got mine removed, Dr. Wright, I was like a different person. I was just like, oh my gosh, my brain turned back on. I feel like old Janique again. It was remarkable. 80% better just from getting a root canal removed. And here's another problem with that, which is another issue is all of the acupuncture meridians end in the teeth. And mm-hmm. so if you have an infected tooth or root canal on that tooth, that's going to flip the circuit breaker to that acupuncture meridian, which can cause damage. Another th- thing that can happen is you can get electrical current from metal in your mouth, which are implants as well. And this isn't necessarily root canal, but if you have galvanic current in your mouth, that can short out your brain and cause problems. And it's not a very high current, but it's enough for the brain to know that there's something wrong. And so, yeah, the teeth are a major reason why people don't get well. Mm -hmm. So Um, tell me about the galvanic current. Break that down to me like I'm five because you lost. So a galvanic current. So we have AC. If you plug your cell phone into the wall to get it recharged, that's alternating current. So it goes on and off, on and off and on and off. It flips Mm -hmm. back and forth. Galvanic current is direct current. Mm-hmm. And so any a battery is made by two dissimilar metals in a salt solution. Mm-hmm. So let's say you have sodium and chloride or sodium and mercury or sodium and nickel in a salt solution like your mouth. Mm-hmm because our bodies work with saline, a salt solution. Well, you basically create an electrical current, you create a battery there. Mm-hmm. And then that battery is going to give off a magnetic field, which uh-huh. is going to deal with everything around it. Oh my gosh. So we have, we're creating a current in the mouth Yes. from the root canal. What about the implants? Well, if the implant is titanium, that can do the same thing because you have titanium there, but you also have the minerals that are supposed to be there like copper, magnesium, zinc, potassium, those are all metals. You've just put a dissimilar metal in your mouth in the form of a titanium implant. Now, if you need a tooth there, because I really want you to eat... Mm-hmm. and you need teeth to be able to chew, then the best choice is don't ever have a dental problem. But unfortunately, the people that we're dealing with, that's too late for that. And so the, the best option is to do a, a ceramic implant. Mm-hmm. And that's those true. don't last as long. They're not quite as good, structurally speaking, as a titanium implant, but they don't have the immunogenicity mm-hmm. of a titanium implant. Are they perfect? No, but they're better than the other options. So when I interviewed Dr. Michelle and you guys, you need to listen to that podcast. I did it earlier this year, probably like April or May of 2023. So look for it. But she mentioned that the ceramics are actually really well manufactured now. So they're just as good as the titanium. She's like same language as you, where she's just like, you got to get them out. She's like, there's no such thing as a good root canal. There's no such thing. And what's interesting is mine was so bad. Every time I flossed, it literally smelled like rotting flesh, but there was no pain. There was no pain. 
And so it's like my life literally changed. I was having twitching all over my body and muscle weakness. And I'm like, this is Lou Gehrig's disease. Great. I'm going to die. You know what I mean? And we got this root canal removed and the twitching went down 80%. The next thing was figuring out when I got pregnant, you know, they make you do urine tests and they're like, you have a raging UTI. And I was like, oh, I thought it was just interstitial cystitis. They put me on antibiotics and my symptoms went completely away. And it's like these bacterial infections affected my nervous system and my brain function so much that I literally felt it's funny because I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like myself again, right? I'm normally a very peppy, bubbly person, but the past year with all these infections and all this inflammation, I experienced depression for the first time. My personality changed. It was hard for me to run my company. It was like, I just couldn't do anything. And then you get these infections out of me and I'm like, oh, I'm back. (laughs) The sun is shining again. What depression, right? It's a very scary place to be in because it's like, I am not who I used to be. Like I have changed as a person. I am a different mom. I'm a different wife. I'm a different business owner. And I don't like that. I want the old me back. So bacterial infections, viral infections, stealth infections, like a lot of these things are stealthy, right? When it comes to brain dysfunction. And so let's talk about what are the neurological red flags that you see where you're like, this is an infection that we need to fix. Hey, Getsy listeners, I want to give a shout out to Cozy Earth once again for always delivering on the softest and most luxurious sheets. You spend a third of your life sleeping, which means you need to make it count as 80% of your healing and repairing happens while you're sleeping. And if you want a temperature regulated, unparalleled comfort Zen Den, Cozy Earth has got you from sheets to pillows and now blankets. It's a no brainer that investing in your sleep is not an indulgence, but an actual necessity. Not only that, but Cozy Earth is providing an exclusive offer to my listeners today up to 40% off site-wide when you use the code gutsy I'm not kidding you my new husband loves everything North Pole cold and I love everything South African hot and so these sheets are perfect for the both of us as they are just so comfortable and so regulating so trust me cozy earth won't let you down with their products they are phenomenal I don't want to say that they're breathing air, but it's always on my list of things. If somebody's chronically ill, infections are always on the list of things that I'm looking for. Always. Yeah. Any kind of chronic illness. Yep. I just don't think you can get a chronic illness without an infection. And on autopsy, they found Alzheimer's patients, some extremely high number, like somewhere between 75 and 90% of them on autopsy. So they had to die in order for it to happen, but Mm -hmm. had Lyme disease in their brain. Wow. And so is Lyme disease the cause of Alzheimer's? No, it's a lot more complicated than that, but it's a cofactor. And I was reading an article this morning on one of the reasons why infections are bad is what happens is, let's say you kill a bug and anybody who's been chronically ill knows what a Herxheimer reaction is. And this is related to that, but not necessarily. So the bacterial cell membrane has these things called LPS or lipopolysaccharides, which basically is a fatty sugar. Mm -hmm. And those can congregate and turn into things like fibrin, which we say is the thing that causes clots. Okay. So if you go down that path, what is that? Well, that actually could make you clot and have a heart attack or a stroke or sudden death or poor circulation. But the article went a little bit further and said it can actually turn into amyloid plaque, which is one of the things that's been implicated in Alzheimer's. Again, it's way more complicated than that. But that's just one mechanism where infections can make you sick, not in a way that we would look for and think, oh, that's an infection. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Yep. So that's just one way. Anybody who's chronically ill, I'm thinking infection. Yeah. It's interesting. There's a lady in Miami who has a clinic similar to ours where she deals just with like Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, and her whole thing is viral infections. She's like, it's a viral. She's she's cured three people from Lou Gehrig's, which I think there's only like 10 in the world or 12. And so she's done it. She's helped a, a fairly significant number of people reverse that. And she says it's always infection. She says it's always viral. She says the most of the time it's viral, but she checks all the infections, right? And she checks nervous system dysregulation and all the things that we kind of look for, yep. Lyme, virus, bacteria. She's like, you got to check them all off the list. You got to get rid of all these viruses. Well, and one of the reasons why I get good results with Lyme is because I don't look for it mm -hmm. for all the other mess that's creating it the, or the mess. And here's the problem with Lyme disease. You know, in the 80s and 90s, everything was caused by candida. And then a little later, everything was fibromyalgia. And, you know, fibromyalgia, well, it's it's because you hurt and we don't know why. I'm kind of rolling my eyes, well, why? You're hurting. And so Lyme disease is kind of all the new buzzword. And technically speaking, Lyme disease is an infection from Borrelia burgdorferi. It is a from a tick bite and it only typically causes joint pain. Well, here's the problem. Lyme disease is a cousin to syphilis, which is another spirochete, which we know has, has been very well documented, can go from first to second to third degrees. Third degrees hits the brain and causes all kinds of mass hysteria. I'm using those words sloppily. It's not technically that, but you know, depression, anxiety, brain rot, I mean, all kinds of bad things. We know that because we watched it and it was immoral that we did it like that, but that's what happened. Mm -hmm. So can Lyme disease do that? Well, if you're comparing you know, spirochete to a spirochete, sure, why can't it? But the way we talk about it here in our country is you can't get it. It doesn't do that. Well, it's not that we don't know that it can do it that way. It's because they haven't proven that it can do that way, do that. So therefore it can't do it. Mm -hmm. Just because right. we haven't proven it doesn't mean it can't go that way. Right. Then, you know, there's Borrelia burgdorferi and I don't know, I lost track at somewhere around 30. There's new subgroups of Lyme disease or Borrelia that are named after 30 or so other people. Maybe there's more than that, but I, you know, I don't care anymore. It's like, well, I don't care which one you have. Mm -hmm. But here's the problem. If you have Western blot, it's looking for Borrelia burgdorferi, not Borrelia californica or California or whichever other mm -hmm. subspecies you have. Mm -hmm. So that's so why I miss it. Yep. You could miss it. And so that's why I'm distrustful of the blood testing because there's what testing you do, there's going to be a margin of error. And, you know, I believe that you can actually coexist with Lyme. You just need to make your immune system more intelligent and take the stressors off. Yep. Right. So you can diminish its numbers, but you also need to diminish all the other co-infections too, like Epstein-Barr, like other co-infections, root canal infections, yep. UTIs, you know, all these other things that are draining the tank of the car. Unplug those things and allow the immune system to actually do its job. There's no supplement or drug that's more intelligent than the immune system. We have yep. to give the Absolutely. immune system the break. The immune system has been overworked. It's working overtime. It's working 24 seven and well, it needs a break. And there's a thing I want to put in here to support exactly what you're saying. I believe our bodies were created. I believe in God. Not everybody does. You can call it the universe. You can call it whatever. I don't care. But our immune systems, I believe, were created to fight all invaders, all enemies, both foreign and domestic. You know, we talk about that as the military, fight all enemies, foreign and domestic. Well, if the enemy is a domestic partner, the immune system can go wonky from that. 
And so I like to think of myself as an equal opportunity offender. If I think your hair dye is bugging you, I will flag that. And you girls want to be pretty. And so sometimes that means you want to do your hair nicely. And so, but you know, if your hair dye is poisoning you, somebody's got to tell you that that could be an issue. You know, I don't encourage people to get rid of their domestic partners or spouses or kids or whatever, but you have to look at that as if that is the cause of your disease, you need to find a way to work that out so that you can mitigate that cause. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a foreign invader, I don't think that we, you know, our immune system says, oh, I can kill everything. Oh, but I can't kill Lyme disease. No, that doesn't make any sense to me. Right. You can kill Lyme disease too. So getting that immune system working well mm-hmm. is the single best tool I've ever found for eradicating Lyme disease, period. Well, and this is why I don't like antibiotics because 80% of your immune system is your microbiota. And so when we're wearing and tearing at the microbiota with antibiotics and months, if not years worth of antibiotics, you're diminishing the intelligence of your immune system, right? And so it's like, it's not the bacteria, it's the overload. So deal with the overload and let the immune system then kick into full gear again, take the weight off of it and let it do its job. Yep. Viruses. Can we talk about viruses really fast? A lot of people that have Lyme have Epstein-Barr or CMV or some other kind of viral infection. Parvovirus or... Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, there's lots of them. Yep. What should people be asking their doctors as far as testing goes? And how do people treat this? You said the other day, you're like, Epstein-Barr is easy. And I'm like, please tell me more. I want to pick your brain about this. What are the questions people should be asking about these other co-infections? And what are some of your favorite treatments? So we'll get to the favorite treatments in a second. Number one is I love it when patients come in with a big stack of lab works. That means I don't have to run them. Mm -hmm. And so you should run a Lyme Western blot test. You should also run a thing called a CD57 as in Compact Disc 57, you can also call it an HNK1. Those are two different names for the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's looking at the immune system. Can you make antibodies to Lyme disease? And so if you're running a Lyme panel, that's minimum. Yeah. And those are covered by insurance because I run them through insurance all the time. Perfect. And while I don't bill insurance, I send them to a lab that does bill insurance. And so people can get these covered. I like to do viral panels. I like to do cytomegalovirus, CMV. I like to do Epstein-Barr. I like to do a full list of Epstein-Barr. There's usually four markers that you can get. One may or may not get it. So I like to do all four. Tells me whether you got exposed once or is, is it acute now? Is it active now? I like to run parvo if I suspect it. Parvo virus is a dog virus, but humans can get it too. Mm-hmm. I test for mycoplasma. Mycoplasma is a cell wall deficient bacteria. It can be messy with people. I'll do herpes simplex virus. I like the six one because that can herpes simplex virus six actually can hit the brain. I actually learned about that one from Dr. Amen. We mm-hmm. talked about it earlier. And that one can be really messy on the brain. And so, you know, these are the common chronic infections that hit the brain. I dare say that parasites, I heard you say that basically, what was it? If you're breathing, I say, if you're breathing, you you probably have a parasite, but you've got a pulse, you've got probably got a parasite. Yep. If you have a pulse, you have a parasite. (laughs) So I use a crude test for is parasites your problem? Mm -hmm. I don't run stool testing very often. If somebody wants to, great. I'm happy to order that for them, but I don't Mm -hmm. really particularly care to poop in a cup. So therefore- And it's missed a lot of the time. Well, it is. Mm -hmm. And if you're you're not, first of all, if the parasite's in your brain, it's not going to show up in the sample of your poop because not looking at the brain, we're looking at your poop. Right. You know, I had a guy who that joint right there got really big and they we treated for parasites and that joint got better. That's insane. The test I use is crude. I'll get it. It's about 99% specific 
No, it's about 99% sensitive to parasites and about 0% specific. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. you test positive on this test, it tells me you probably have a parasite. I'm going to treat as if, but it won't tell me what you got. Mm-hmm. So if we ran a blood test, blood test is kind of like me asking you, hey, do you have green hair? And mm-hmm. you go, no. I go, cool. Do you have blue hair? No. Do you have red hair? No. Do you have orange hair? No. Uh, usually I'm a good guesser, but apparently I'm getting it wrong. <laughs> That's what a blood test is. We're asking, do you have this? And it's a yes or no answer. Well, if I'm a good guesser, I might get it right. But if I, I'm not a good guesser, I might get it wrong. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when there's many, many thousands of viruses out there, right, or many hundreds of thousands of parasites out there, I can test you for Giardia, but I've just checked off one box. Yep. And there's what hundreds. If you don't have Giardia and there's hundreds, if not thousands. Yep. And yep. so, you know, half of them cause constipation, half of them cause diarrhea. So diarrhea is not a very sensitive marker. Anyway, so my test, and you guys can all use this, is if your symptoms change with the lunar cycle. Mm-hmm. That means, well, so let's say on the 4th of July, it was the full moon and you got sick. Okay, well, maybe you were eating a bunch of bad stuff on the 4th of July. Mm-hmm. Maybe you had a reaction to food. Or maybe somebody gave you the stomach flu on that day and you had a really bad day. Okay, but if around 27 and a half days later, you get the same symptoms and you didn't eat the food, nobody gave you stomach flu, I'm going to scratch my head and go, well, maybe you have a parasite. I want to share a story I've shared on the podcast, but some people don't listen to all the podcasts, but I had a friend whose daughter is 12 years old and she started saying things over the past year. She's like, mom, I just have this like creepy feeling inside of me. And she's like, it makes me really scared. And then her daughter had like this mental breakdown one night. And she said, she's a friend of mine. She's like, can you just took her into your clinic to get a hair scan? Will you take a look at it? And I looked at it and I said, was her mental breakdown on... June the 5th, or it was some date. I pulled out my phone and I looked for the new moon or the full moon schedule. And I said, was it on this date? And she's like, actually it was. And I said, well, I'm not surprised because the number one priority on your hair scan is parasites. She has parasites. And she literally did the cell core parasite cleanse and she is tons better. Now, what's really interesting is mom did the parasite cleanse and she has been passing parasites as long as like my arm for like six weeks. And so I'm just like, your whole family just needs to do a parasite cleanse. All of you need to do parasite cleanses. One other thing I want to say is I've mentioned on several podcasts and this podcast too, chronic UTIs. Someone brought to my attention. They said, hey, when you have a flare, you should check the full moon schedule. And I was like, oh my gosh. How did I miss that? And if you're a longtime listener, I've spoken about my parasite cleanse that I did a year ago and the tons of parasites that I passed. I felt so good passing them. And I'm sure I have more. You have to do several rounds of parasitic cleansing because I can't right now because I'm pregnant and I can't wait for this baby to come out because you bet I'm going to start doing parasite cleanses in a few months time once he's out. I'm going to take you one further. I'm going to say that if you have parasites, you probably need to treat it for a year. Oh, I believe that. And and there's ways of pulsing it and so on to get better results. But, you know, what if you have parasites, but you didn't kill all the eggs? Mm -hmm. Full moon, six months from now, guess what comes on out? And so... So are you a fan of pulsing or are you just like, just keep going, just keep doing both? Okay. I usually have people like full on for like three months. If your listeners are geeking out like me, I'm going to give them more details. And so what I do is for the first two to three months, depending on severity, depending on a lot of factors, I have them take an antiparasitic every single day. Mm-hmm. I have them triple the dose on the lunar cycle, full moon, moon, and quarter moon. So. Cool. And then for the next nine months, they know when they were sick. So for your friend who had the symptoms on the full moon, that was the hot moon. 
So for the next nine months, I have them take it with the lunar cycle, especially on the hot moon, triple dose on the hot moon, so that when the bug is hatching or replicating or doing whatever it's doing, you can kill it before it gives you more eggs to hatch. Oh my gosh, that is so brilliant. That's so smart. Can I share something while we're talking about parasites? Gina, she's my co-host. She mentioned her friend. Her friend was like, Gina, have you ever heard of a fulvic acid bath? And Gina's like, no. And she's like, I just did a fulvic acid bath and there were parasites that came out of my skin. She's like, there are worms in my bath. And like, it's just crazy that here in America, we just don't register parasites. We're like, nope, that's too gross. That's only animals can get it. And it's like, it's funny because I can talk parasites all day long. But when she said parasites were coming out of her skin in her bath, that's where I drew the line. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is now grossing me out like so much. But yeah, parasites are a huge issue and they can go to the brain. My favorite book is This Is Your Brain on Parasites. It's literally the best book I've read all year um, besides all the parenting book. I have a story about this. So early on in my practice, I saw a young man and his primary symptom was migraines. But Mm. the quirk about the migraines were for the last three or four years, they would hit quarterly. Mm. They were so consistent that the family would plan their vacations to not have it happen during the vacation. And basically what he would have to do is go to the emergency room. They would give him some drug. I don't know what it was. They'd give him an IV of something. He'd be, you know, in excruciating pain. And then that would clear it. And then he'd be good for four more months. I see. It would happen every three three months. months. Mm -hmm. And so what we figured was, is we had to treat it with IV therapy. And this is before I was doing my favorite IV therapy, but we'd have to treat it homeopathically and with IV therapy the day before he was going to have his symptoms. Mm -hmm. It took nine months, meaning three treatments. And I've followed the family since then. And he's had no migraines since then. What was it? Well, I don't have to go go back and look, but it was some parasite that was replicating and doing its thing every three months. That's crazy. And it was consistent. So, Oh my gosh. So my favorite, so if I know the kind of parasite, like I had a family who tried to treat naturally speaking pinworms and they tried everything for a year and they still didn't work. And for pinworms, I was like, you know, an antibiotic really is the best treatment for, and it was like two doses (laughs) and Mm -hmm. it completely cured their entire family. But if I don't know the bug, if I don't know the parasite or don't know what it is, I prefer to use a, an herbal formula that's broad spectrum. Number one, the first thing I always look for is, is this safe? Because mm-hmm. if I don't know what I'm treating, I don't want to give something that could harm the person. Right. Number two, would I personally do this to myself and or my family? <laughs> That's hilarious. That really is more of just a continuation of number one. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but you know, if I'm not <laughs> going to do it myself or give it to my family, how do I feel comfortable giving it to you, Janique? Right, exactly. If it qualifies for number one and number two, then I want something that's going to be broad spectrum enough that I know I'm not going to hurt them, but I know it's going to kill the most parasites. The one you mentioned is, is great. Uh, the one I have used forever is called uh, Biocidin. Mm-hmm. It's a really powerful that, and mm-hmm. it kills parasites. And so, but, you know, for, to go on and tell you what I like to do for viruses, number one, you have to get the body working. So you need to have a standard nutritional protocol, appropriate multivitamin, minerals, amino acids, replacing what's missing. You know, you, I want the thyroid functioning properly. I want the rest of the hormones functioning properly, but I won't usually start with the rest of the hormones. But if the thyroid is not up to par, I'm going to start with that mm. because I'm going to get so much improvement from that half their symptoms go away then cool. Now we don't have to look for all the symptoms going away. We can just Mm -hmm. thyroid's working better. So my single favorite protocol for killing it, whatever it is besides us is oxygen. Mm -hmm. 
And in your clinic, you're using hyperbaric oxygen, you're tr- using ozone. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of hyperbaric. I have my own soft chamber, nowhere near as cool as your hard chambers. <laughs> uh, I just don't have a place for hard chamber and I can't afford it. And I am cheap, but I bought a, a soft one and it worked really well for our brain stuff that we were dealing with. So well, I'm, now you happen to have access to hard shell chambers, Dr. Wright. Huge fan of hard, <laughs> cell, cha- hard shell chambers. And so, but oxidative therapies are probably remember way back junior high, high school biology, they're telling you how the immune system works. And the immune system, basically, you got this bad guy and the body goes, ooh, see that bad guy, let's kill that. And so in comes the white blood cell and gobbles it up, mm-hmm. puts that bad guy into a safe room, you know, and then squirts a bunch of poison onto it, tears it all to pieces, and then takes the piece of that bad guy and say, hey, everybody, this is the bad guy, kill it. Mm-hmm. And all the rest of the immune system comes and kills that. What is the stuff that the white blood cell squirts onto the bad guy to take it apart to kill it? It oxidizes it. And the answer is hydrogen peroxide and ozone. Oh, yeah. So those are things our bodies physically make to Mm -hmm. kill all bad. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, my favorite therapies for killing bad, killing infections is ozone and or hydrogen peroxide. I love it. You're speaking Uh, my language because now you're talking Hockett. And one thing that we're bringing to Provo Health is ozone IV therapy, you know, with UVB, right? And so my first question when I heard about ozone IV therapy is like, well, that's air, right? How are you not killing people? (laughs) Right. And I called up a buddy of mine who was doing, he said, no, 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 patients love it. They feel great afterwards. They tell all their friends about it. And I was like, okay, obviously, because I trust this and respect this guy tremendously, obviously there's something I didn't know about. Mm -hmm. So I I went to the first class I could get. It was a hands-on class and he was doing all kinds of cool stuff with ozone. He was injecting it into places. And here's the thing. Air, if you give somebody an IV of air, what is air? Well, first of all, whatever's in the room, air is like 75, 80% nitrogen. Nitrogen doesn't dissolve in the blood. So that's what causes the embolism. So, you know, if you're a scuba diver, you know about the bends. It's Mm -hmm. an embolism of nitrogen coming out of pressure and causing bubbles. So if you give a injection of air, it's not the oxygen that's the problem, it's the nitrogen that's the problem. Well, when I'm doing IV ozone, I'm not using air. I'm using medical grade oxygen. Mm -hmm. I take that and I put it through a stressor. It's called an ozone generator, but it's basically like a lightning storm in a can. And if you've ever been in a lightning storm, you know that fresh smell. That's actually ozone that the body, the lightning made. Mm -hmm. And so out out of the tailpipe of the ozone generator is a mixture of pure oxygen and ozone gas. Mm-hmm. And so I'll draw blood out, I'll put it into a bag, and then I'll bubble ozone into it. And that blood will carry that ozone. It actually reacts almost instantaneously, makes these things called ozonides. And ozonides will last up to two weeks mm-hmm. in the blood. That's cool. But that ozone is going to kill infection, activate the immune system. And then I give it back to the person so that now we've killed things and activated things. But if I don't give it back to the person, all I did was I just did some therapeutic phlebotomy, Mm -hmm. which is useful for some things, but not really helpful if you have an infection. So I give it back to the body better. I also add a little bit of medical grade hydrogen peroxide. And that activates it further and kills things further. But then I give it back to the body, putting it through ultraviolet light. Well, people know that ultraviolet light sanitizes surfaces. Mm-hmm. Well, ultraviolet A, B, and C does three different things, including improving the circulation of the blood, activating the immune system, killing anything that was in the blood. And then mm-hmm. we give it back to you. 
but it's kind of like giving you your own personalized vaccine to whatever it is you're fighting. Yeah. Now, if you're fighting Epstein-Barr, okay, you just got a vaccine to that. Are you fighting Lyme? Okay, you just got a vaccine to that too. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, what if you have another bunch of bugs we didn't know about? Guess what? You just got a vaccine to those as well. Mm-hmm. We also charged up the immune system, giving it a whole bunch of energy because free oxygen, if you take a deep breath, the thing that your body's making energy out of is that free radical oxygen. It goes to the mitochondria and the body uses up all the energy from that oxygen and then spits out carbon dioxide and water down the tailpipe. So it's extremely safe. And because our bodies are designed to be able to use those free radical oxygens, it doesn't hurt us, but the bacteria, they are not designed. They cannot handle it. Right. So all bacteria die, including their aerobic ones in the presence of ozone and peroxide. I love it. And oxygen, right? And oxygen, yep. Like hyperbaric, because hyperbaric oxygen therapy takes your oxygen saturation from 97% to 2,500, yep. right? And it does that not through the red blood cells because you can max out the red blood cells capacity to hold oxygen. It utilizes the plasma and the plasma has unlimited ability to store oxygen, right? It's, yep. it's actually just a river of like liquid. And so you what? can just pump oxygen in that plasma. And here's me geeking out. Well, what if we do an ozone and then hyperbaric? What'll happen? Like, oh my like, gosh. People even faster? Right. Like, oh my gosh, it would be insane. I want to talk about, so I've spoken about this before. People that get Lyme, people that get long COVID, a certain amount of brain damage happens, right? And let's say they treat the Lyme and they treat the infections, but they still feel sick. And all their labs, I want this to be, this is really, really important. All their labs come back better. Like Lyme is better, Epstein-Barr is gone, but I still feel sick. What's actually happening is you're not symptomatic of Lyme anymore. You're symptomatic of a deteriorated brain that has been sick for a very long time. And so you actually have to do brain retraining. You actually have to do brain restoring. And so we've changed our Lyme protocol a ton to deal with the infections, to detox the body, to optimize hormones. And then we rehab the brain at the end with hyperbaric and we restore all the damage because if there's still infection, it's still going to you know, cause a problem. But what's really important is one, you have to heal the damaged brain. And so we use neurofeedback, we use hyperbaric, but there is a therapy that you really love for brain damage and brain dysfunction. Remind me what it is called because you have seen tremendous success. And you said doing this therapy in a hyperbaric chamber at the same time is just yeah, money. Geeking out. Yep. <laughs> what is this therapy? The structure of cell walls is predominantly made of a thing called phosphatidylcholine. Mm-hmm. Phosphatidylcholine, if you look at your egg white, mm-hmm. not the egg yolk, but if you crack an egg in a bowl, the egg white is primarily made of phosphatidylcholine. So you're getting it in your food. Mm-hmm. So when you eat it, you digest it and it goes to your liver and it has a side effect of lowering your cholesterol. So that's kind of a nice bonus there. But if you inject it, it actually goes systemically to repair cell membranes. Now, I originally learned about this in the PK protocol, Mm -hmm. and I don't do the PK protocol because the gal who created the PK protocol is kind of cranky about not changing her protocol and still calling it the PK protocol. So Mm -hmm. I brought it back to my office and I had a couple of people who suffered some brain trauma. And I was like, well, I want to heal their brains. Mm -hmm. I want to give them this. And so I learned about the physiology and the structure and the chemistry of phosphatidylcholine. And the protocol, the PK protocol was using a high dose of phosphatidylcholine as a quick push. So you get the IV and you do it in like 10 to 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. But I found in the testing I was doing in my office that if I wanted it to go to the brain primarily, or if I wanted more of it to go to the brain, I found the brains don't handle fast and furious things very well. 
Right. They like it slow and slow. And so I found that when I do an IV infusion of phosphatidylcholine and I run it in over the course of three to four hours, I actually got a better result in brain repair than mm-hmm. if I pushed it in really quickly. That's amazing. But so brain repair can be reversed. If someone's dealing with Alzheimer's, dementia, what about Parkinson's? We haven't even like touched on that. But is there hope for these people that are dealing with long COVID? You know, brain dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, those are all end stage. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they're finding that these Mm -hmm. things are coming on a couple, uh, you know, as, as early as a couple of decades before we actually diagnosed them. Parkinson's has to do with trauma to a very specific type of the part of the brain. And you have to lose like 90% of that before you get Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. And I've not found that anything fixes that. But for Parkinson's, I found that, you know, there's Dr. Perlmutter in Florida who's pioneered glutathione for Parkinson's and he gets really good results, mm-hmm. but it's a maintenance protocol. It's not a reversal protocol. Gotcha. I studied, got certified and I need to recertify with him. Dr. Bredesen came up with a protocol to reverse stop and or reverse Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's, he calls Alzheimer's basically complete failure of the brain function. Mm-hmm. And he says like, there's 36, you know, if you have a, uh, your, you know, you got your barn and you got 36 holes in the roof, you had a lot of leaks and just mm-hmm. fixing one of those leaks isn't going to fix your barn. You have to plug all of them in order to get the benefit. And so, you know, for Alzheimer's, you have to fix all of the leaks and some of them are hormonal, some of them are toxicity, some of them are blood flow. And so for those things, you have to fix as many of them as you can realistically fix and then you get results. Mm-hmm. But if you, if somebody got depression because of brain trauma, you know, they've had some concussions and Dr. Amon says, well, have you ever had a brain trauma? And they go, no. Well, are you sure? Did you ever fall off the couch and hit your head? Did you, were you, you know, were you a biker and hit your head when you crashed there? You know, do you have Lyme disease and that caused brain trauma? What? And most people, if you really dig in, have had some sort of brain trauma that, or a concussion or something like that that caused the brain trauma. Mm-hmm. So I found, I love biofeedback. Great tool. I encourage people to do it. And hyperbaric, great tool to get more oxygen to the brain. I just added the structure so that the body can use the nutritional protocol of phosphatidylcholine to repair the structure of the brain so that you get more bang for your buck for doing the biofeedback and the hyperbarics. It's interesting because how I describe the brain to people is that the brain, it's like a computer, but you have the hardware of the computer, you have the software of the computer, and then you have the electricity that turns on the software of the computer. And that's the brain, right? You have the hardware, which is like the actual tissue that can be damaged. You have the software, which is the actual, let me talk about the electricity. You have the electricity, which is the brainwave activity, right? So there's an electrical component. And then the software is like the different programs of your brain, like different traumas or PTSD or stored memories or something like that, right? And so that could be like, talk therapy or psychedelics or whatever, right? Whatever it is that people want to help reprogram that software in their brain. But you have to hit all three of them. You can't just work on the hardware, right? The hardware would be the phosphatidylcholine IV and hyperbaric. The electricity would be the neurofeedback, right? You have to fix the electricity and have the right currents running the computer. And then the software would be the traumas, the PTSD, the capital T traumas and the lowercase t traumas, right? To change the software and the programs in the brain so that it is no longer activating the incompatible electrical circuit, right? The electricity. And so brain rehabbing is like you said, there's multiple holes in the barn and you have to plug all of them. Brain rehabbing is a hundred percent that it's like you said, nutrition. It is 
electric, it's physical, it's, you know, there's a physical component, there's an emotional component. And so make sure when you are embarking on your healing journey that you are looking at all of them, right? If you just tried one therapy and you're like, it didn't work. It's like, well, it did work, but it solved one of the five problems, right? I like to use the tax rule. Have you ever heard the tax rule? Uh-uh. So the tax rule, you think of uh, April 6th, 15th, right? No, not that tax. So the tax rule goes like this. If you're sitting on a thumbtack, it takes an awful lot of aspirin to make you feel well. Mm, interesting. But if you're sitting on two thumbtacks, taking one out doesn't necessarily make you 50, feel 50% better. Right. And then if you're sitting on 15 thumbtacks, taking one out won't change anything because you're still going to feel bad. Right. So you have to remove enough of the causes, enough of the tax Mm-hmm. so that you can actually get some benefit. And if you have a high-end athlete, you, you make a little tweak here and there and they feel it because they're a high-end athlete. They know their bodies really well and they're already taking care of themselves. Mm-hmm. But if you have somebody who didn't know how to take care of themselves, they're in kind of a perfect storm of everything bad, eating a bad diet and having bad relationships. And then they got infected with 15 different bugs and then they got a root canal for fun. And, and you know, and they're eating, you know, Twinkies and Ho-Hos and Diet Coke Mm-hmm. I'm not picking on those people who are eating those things, but they're not really terribly nutritious. And, you know, then they were living in Flint, Michigan, where they were had a mercury spill a bunch of years ago yep. and all the other and perfect storm. Oh, and then they have the genetics, mm-hmm. which means they can't nourish themselves and or detoxify themselves. And then they have a list of, of diagnoses as long as they're armed. Mm-hmm. And now they're on 15 meds or 20 meds to be able to manage those 15 or 20 diseases along mm-hmm. with the side effects. And they're feeling terrible and they look terrible and they wonder why do they feel so bad? Well, it's because something broke and the doctors weren't trained to find the thing that broke, to find the root cause of why they were sick mm-hmm. and start dealing with that. And so right. you know, I could rant on that a long time. <laughs> I love that. And it's interesting too, because most doctor's visits are like 12 minutes long, whereas yours and Jared's initials are like your initial consult is like 75 minutes and you're literally just interviewing them for 75 minutes. Super sleuthing, having them fill out a ton of paperwork because you want to see everything from beginning, middle and end, right? Childhood, like birthing story, the whole thing. I remember when I was in the clinic doing consults and I'm like, tell me about everything. The amount of antibiotics you took as an infant, were you vaginally birthed? Were you a C-section? Like, let's see the whole picture so that I can get a clear picture of what we're looking at so we know how to treat it. And so it's all of it. It's all of it. And having really skilled professionals like you, Dr. Wright and Jared Price are, you guys are like one in a million. Like I said, you guys are unicorns. So, and and his, you know, he'll agree with me probably on this is that our single most valuable tool is history. A hundred percent. He would a hundred percent agree with that. You know, blood tests are awesome and they're, they're very useful to narrow things down, Mm -hmm. but history is absolutely the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Dr. Wright, As we wrap up this episode, do you have any last words of wisdom for people that are really struggling with their health, with their mental health, physical health, autoimmune, that are bouncing around from doctor to doctor to doctor? Do you have any words of advice? The first piece of advice is find a doctor who's a sleuth, who is looking for the cause rather than the diagnosis. Diagnosis Mm -hmm. is helpful, but it's more for flowcharts. And I'm less interested in the diagnosis. I'm looking for the why. You can usually find those in the functional medicine group. I don't look 
for initials after names anymore because I've, I've known some phenomenal MDs who've taught me a heap load of stuff. I'm a naturopathic doctor, which is ND or NMD. I've known some NDs and NMDs who are not really worth anything. And so really, I don't look at the credentials anymore. I look at, well, how much time do you spend and what's your point? What are you looking for? So I Google stock doctors. Mm-hmm, I love <laughs> I check them out on Google you know, before I go see them or before my family goes to see them. Because if they can't say three words, I don't know. Probably we can't work together. Mm-hmm. So I really like doctors who can acknowledge when they don't know something because I like to know what I know and I like to know what I don't know. Because if I don't know something, I might know somebody who knows something about that and I'll refer you. And so that's really important as well. So if a doctor doesn't know how to say, I don't know, that's a good kicker. We're trying to train more doctors like this. So functional medicine is good. Naturopaths typically are good. ACAM is another place where you can find good doctors who are cranky enough to keep asking the question of what broke Uh (laughs) and, and find the cause. And so that hopefully that, you know, there's good chiropractors out there. There's good nutritionists out there also who will ask the questions, but they may or may not have the credentials to be able to run appropriate blood tests that need to be done. They can't, they won't be able to prescribe something. But, and also here's the thing is if you can't prescribe it, you can't unprescribe it. Mm -hmm. So you may not want a doctor to give you a new drug, but if they can't give you a drug, they can't take you off of a drug either. Mm-hmm. So that's a key component as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. You guys, if you want to work with Dr. Wright, just call the Provo Health Clinic. We'll have him on the podcast a lot more. I love these podcasts now because I get to pick your guys' brains. I don't have to go to conferences anymore. I get to hear the cliff notes of the conferences. I get to stay at home with my babies while you and Jared go. And it's funny because you and Jared love the conferences. You love to geek out on it. And I just love to pick your brains during the podcast about the information that you guys are learning. So Dr. Wright, thank you so, so much. I can't wait to record more episodes with you on fun topics. This is just so fun for me. It's like school. Listeners, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. Again, if you want to work with Dr. Wright and with our Provo Health team on your complex health cases, where you feel like you've just kind of been on the medical merry-go-round and you're not getting answers, call our office, email us. Our office number is 801-691-1765, or you can email front desk at front desk at Provo Health. And we'll catch you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Gutsy Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed and learned a lot from this episode. For more updates, follow us on Instagram at Gutsy Health Podcast. 